Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim. Uh, Happy New Year to you. I'm glad you're here listening today. I want to read to you uh, some scriptures and and talk about a few principles that uh, I thought about, mulled over, uh, talked to others about um, the principles that deal with receiving from God. And sometimes it seems very simple, and other times it seems uh, more difficult. And after focusing on a topic like this for the last, let's see, since um, 1986, so that's about 32 years ago in the spring in July for me, that uh, I took up the study on this topic. So I want to share some things with you because I, I believe that a lot of the problems that we face is that we overcomplicate things. And when we overcomplicate things, then we overcomplicate the process of making things simple again. So we're going from one complicated process to another. And, you know, Jesus said when they, the, the men lowered their friend down through the hole in the ceiling, when they pulled up the tiles, they had a, a friend of theirs who was uh, sick, laying on a bed, couldn't walk. So uh, I'm assuming he was bedfast. That's a, a much uh, more critical condition than, let's say, you just can't walk. If you can't walk, uh, you still have the ability maybe with crutches or maybe some people carry you. But when you're, when you're on a bed, um, you know, it gives you the impression that the, it's more than just not being able to stand up. There's uh, sickness ravaging the body. And everybody at one time or another has faced some kind of sickness. And you know, it also affects your mind. It affects your will. It affects a lot of things. And so uh, this man had some good friends who were willing to carry him, get him up on the roof. Who knows how they even did that? Um, I can't, it's hard for me to even picture it. I mean, I can picture the man rolling off his mat onto the ground. Um, but anyway, they managed to do it. They broke a hole in the roof. They lowered him down to where Jesus was teaching. And when he saw him, um, he said these words. He said, uh, Son, uh, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven you. Now think about how easy that was. I mean, the, the man didn't have to work anything up. The whole idea was we have to get to Jesus because everything that we need can be found in him. God sent him. Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, all you have to do is open up the Bible and look at Jesus. Now, some people have trouble with that because they see God in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. But what they don't realize is um, that covenant was based on man's performance. And and what we saw happening was the result of man being unable uh, to perform up to that standard, up to that level. Because when you don't perform, God said there would be all these curses. So it was no different than if you're driving down the road and suddenly you notice there's lights in your rearview mirror, a police car, the lights are on. 
you pull over to the side of the road and you're wondering what you did wrong. And then suddenly you think, wow, maybe I was speeding. And the person, the police officer comes to the window, you roll it down and um, they ask for your license and your registration. But let's say you have that. Let's say you obeyed the law and you have a driver's license and the car is registered, the plate is valid. You ask for your insurance card, let's say you paid your bill on your insurance and, and so you're all set with that. And then he asks you, he says, do you know how fast you were going? And let's say you don't know how fast you were going. You were just basically following the car in front of you. Mentally, you were going over the things you had to do when you, when you got home. Um, maybe that later that day or the next day, you had a, something scheduled and you had some things to get done before then. But here you are on the side of the road and you say, I, I don't know, I, I guess about 40 miles an hour. And they said, that's right, you were going 40 miles an hour, uh, but the speed limit here is 30. And then you realize you didn't realize that, or you didn't realize you crossed out of one speed zone that was quicker, faster, into a slower one because your mind was elsewhere. So let's say you didn't mean to do it. Well, if the, if the individual who pulled you over, if the, the police officer man or woman, whatever it happens to be, if they decide to hold you to the letter of the law, then you're going to get a ticket. So something like this happened to me not long ago. I was driving, and it was nighttime, and I was just pacing myself by the car in front of me, but there was a police car behind me. I didn't even realize it. I was listening to some music and deep in thought, and, and I had to go through this type of situation. And as it turned out, the uh, police officer, when he came back to my window, instead of having a ticket, he handed me everything back and he said, uh, this is a uh, 35 mile per, per hour zone. Uh, just so you know, it drops from here to there and I'm not going to write you a ticket, but just be aware and drive safe and have a good night. And he left. So, you know, that, that was fortunate for me. You know, but if you have laws... It's unrighteous not to inform them. Now, I'm not saying that was unrighteous what he did. He had the prerogative. You can, you can show mercy sometimes. But what we see happening is everybody breaks the law. Nobody can keep the law. And so whether you, whether you break a minor point of it or a major point of it isn't really the fact. According to the New Testament, if you break the smallest point of the law, you're guilty of breaking the law. And And so the... The judgment is, is that if you break the law, think of it this way. If you steal something, you're considered a thief by definition. It doesn't make any difference whether you stole a gumball or whether you stole a new Mercedes or whether you robbed a bank. Now, in, in our, our eyes, but, you know, the law, there's different punishments, different levels of punishment according to the crime, but there's a punishment connected to each crime. Well, so in, in, in the beginning... There was a perfect law set up, and it was there before we got there in, in, in principle. Maybe not in the Ten Commandments written down, but the principle was there, spiritually speaking. There was right and there was wrong before it was ever written down, and we had it in our conscience to know that when we did something wrong, we would feel it. Inwardly, we would know that. 
And so when you look back at the Old Testament, it was just simply God enforcing the rules. That's all that was. You know, and we can personalize it and, and we can say, well, that's not fair and why and why shouldn't there be mercy? Well, there is mercy did come under a new covenant, under a better covenant. And so that's the time that we live in now. Those who were in the Old Testament looked forward and had faith in an event that was yet to come. And, and that's how that type of salvation, that's how they received from God back then. But now today, we, under the New Covenant, look back. So the center of history, when man was set free from the shackles of the law, was at the, at the cross. Right? And, that, and, and that's why um, the Bible says, for it's uh, of faith that it might be by grace to this end that the promise might be assured to all the seed. In other words... God put something in place that was so simple, even a child could receive it. Not something difficult. But because, you know, there's so much unbelief and there's so much doubt, you know, we create these um, in-depth, complex arguments to explain why things don't work sometimes and why uh, we don't see results. When, according to the Bible... All things are possible to those who believe. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. So back in the day when Jesus was up on the mount where the story of the transfiguration happened, he was there with Peter, James, and John. Um, down below, the rest of the disciples were ministering to the people. And we have that story where the man had a son who went into these epileptic fits he would foam at the mouth, and he, the uh, man brought this his son to the disciples, and they tried to cast out this spirit, this condition in Jesus' name, and they didn't see results. And so when Jesus came on the scene, the father said, I brought this, my son, to your disciples, and they couldn't cast him out. And his first response to that wasn't I'm so sorry it was one of, of exasperation he answered him verse 19 and said oh faithless generation how long shall I be with you how long shall I suffer you bring him here to me and then he asked the father you know how long has he had this condition he said of a child and then he told him about all the bad things that happened and the father uh, then said, you know, if you can do anything, I, that, that's, a, that's a question sometimes that you can ask when you're, when you're praying. Because maybe you've prayed and you've seen no results, received no relief or very little relief. And then when you go back to your, your point of prayer, <clears throat> you think to yourself, Lord, if you can do anything, and, and, you know, the first, the first thing, the, the default response for most people goes back to the law again. Maybe I'm not performing uh, well enough. Maybe there's something that God's not happy with in my life. That's why I'm not receiving. And we have books that go into all these great details of 101 things you need to check up on if you're not receiving. 
And it's interesting because none of these things, you, you can go into a different obscure scriptures and you can pull out certain things and apply them. Well, this must be my case because I don't see any answers coming. And, and you know, you can get a bunch of this and, and you can form all these arguments. But what I've noticed is after being around this for 30, 32 years now, is that the people that do that, the people that, that take that type of intellectual approach to the problem, all they basically and the, all they basically uh, wind up with at the end is that they're even more confused, they're more tired, in spite of the fact that they have more information that they hold as truth. And so every day becomes kind of like another effort to get it right. And, and, and what I see, I don't see this when I, when I read the New Testament. I don't see it being a matter of you getting it right. I see it being a matter of you believing. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So he didn't say all things but. He didn't say most things. He didn't say all things but uh, weak eyes or all things but prosperity or all things. He said all things are possible to him who believes. Now, in the same gospel, because we're already there a few chapters later, Jesus tells his disciples, what things soever you desire when you pray, Believe you receive them and you shall have them. And Matthew 21, 21 says, All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Well, we ask a lot of things in prayer, but we don't often ask believing. And then, you know, we, we base our believing on what we see because we're taught that if you're believing, you'll see an answer. So if you don't see the answer, you must not be believing. And so we get, you know, people get caught in this vicious cycle because what they're doing is they're using what they see to validate whether or not they're believing. Does that make any sense? In other words, they're using circumstances. They're using the things they can see, the things they can feel, the things they can touch to validate whether or not they've prayed in faith. All things, Jesus said, are possible to him who believes. But yet, this same Jesus made another statement that seems to contradict a lot of the things that are, or the, the, the style approach that's so popular today. Now, let me read this to you. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 18. In verse number three, Matthew chapter 18, in verse number three. And this, is, this was the uh, response to who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus called a little child and, and set him down the middle of him. I want you to picture that. Picture a little boy or a little girl, or both. And he said, and tr truly I say to you, Except you be converted and become as little children, 
you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But notice, notice the words that he used. You shall not enter into. Well, I, I believe the reason why all things are possible to those who believe is because it's childlike faith, believing in the heart. Do you know what I mean by believing in the heart? Remember when you were a child and a lot of the things you did, you did from the heart. I remember um, er, the early years, many, many years ago in grade school. And I remember at that time when we were younger, seven, eight, nine years of age, how we still did things from the heart how we still found joy in simple things and didn't intellectualize much of anything. Now, there was a certain joy, and I remember how adults were, how we, it, it, it's tough to put it into the, wor into, into the right words, but just looking back, why adults enjoyed the company of, of children, happy children, and I think, and, and it's more noticeable now as an adult looking back than it was then. Of course, you didn't really think back then you were making people happy. You just, you were aware definitely when you made them annoyed. But, um, you know, and how you could have fun doing some of the silliest things. I mean, I remember uh, we used to, and, and this is going to date me a little bit, but I remember we would just play with, sticks and and um rocks and <laughs> whatever and uh, we would pretend and we would just be lost in this pretended world and and how great it was to have good friends back then and, you know there were bullies back then too these were the unhappy kids um that wanted to spread their unhappiness but I remember what it was like when you were with good friends and how happy everything was and how you'd laugh and how you had a good time and then as you got older, there was this pressure on you to conform to a certain type of image. Um, you, you dealt with things a certain way and, and so on. And you talked a certain way and you walked a certain way. And, and the pressure was on there to conform. And some people did it better than others. And then when relationships started, you know, when as, as a guy when you first start noticing the girls and and all of that and and there's a you know there's a sense of innocence that gets lost over time but you know Jesus used children as an example because they don't over intellectualize anything you know basically deep down the inside uh, a child knows right from wrong and lying doesn't come naturally to a child deceit doesn't come naturally to a child it's something that's learned over time and so very, very seldom, and I guess it depends what part of the world you're in also, but I'm here in the United States, so this is what I notice. I'm here in the West. And I notice that often when people have uh, problems that are complex, they don't look for su simple solutions. And even their approach to uh, spiritual things, the Bible is very complex. I mean, when you think about it. Back then, people weren't asking what this word meant in the original language. You know, and some of them couldn't believe or couldn't even read, but yet they still believed. You know why? 
Because uh, faith comes by hearing. It doesn't say faith comes by reading. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you hear God's word preached or proclaimed, faith comes. And what were they hearing? Jesus was proclaiming the power of God, the miracle healing power of God. He was uh, proclaiming righteousness and forgiveness and being restored to God. And people heard that and they were drawn to that. Why do you think that uh, sinners of the time, the the publicans and the harlots and the whoremongers and all these people, why do you think they came out to hear Jesus? Right? Because they, they saw hope in his message. You follow what I'm saying? So and 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 all of these multitudes of people that were healed everywhere he went. I mean, they didn't have he didn't have a book table with books on healing that you could buy, you know? He just went out, and you may say, well, that's, that's Jesus. But yet, the same thing happened uh, in the book of Acts with the disciples. It says that they brought all their sick when Peter came by. If even by chance his uh, shadow would pass over them, and, and everybody was, was healed. So now you may say, yeah, well, that was just a special demonstration of power that God did. It was at the beginning of the church, and, and so on and so forth. But yet... You'll find that if you listen to stories of people that receive miracles from God, help from God, I like to talk about healing because it's something that everybody can identify with. You know, everybody knows what it's like to be in pain or to have something not work right uh, or to have something missing, you know, so everybody can relate to that. Um, uh, finances is another big one. Everybody can can relate. Well, not everybody, but... Um, so a lot of people can relate what it's like to struggle. Maybe you're struggling right now or you have some time in the past. But all of these things uh, come under the category of all things are possible to those who believe. What? And the Bible says, therefore, it's a faith that it might be by grace, God's unearned favor, that the promise might be assured, assured to all the seed. And here it says that except you become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, we could also say we could make that, um, uh, we could use a synonym for the kingdom of heaven, or a, a, another word or a phrase that means the same basic thing. So if we took the kingdom of heaven out of that and we replaced it with the things of God, because the kingdom of heaven contains the things of God, right, in heaven, in God's kingdom, there isn't any sickness and disease. There isn't any depression or heartache. There isn't any uh, loss of hope. There isn't any lack. There isn't any of those things. So Jesus said, except you become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We could put in there, you will not enter into the things of God. Right? So the, the antidote for receiving. The antidote for not receiving, I guess I'd be a better way of putting it, isn't to study more, isn't to try harder. It's to become as little children. Because if you notice, in the, in the, in the modern culture that we have, church culture here, at least in the United States, a lot of effort is put into believing. 
But yet the kind of faith we see in the New Testament isn't the kind of faith that it takes ability and strength and insight to carry. You know, we, we, we talk about these things from an intellectual standpoint because we have a lot of intellectual uh, towers that we build up, a lot of intellectual walls that need to be torn down, and, and we compare reason to reason. But at the end of the day, in, Christianity is of the heart, not of the head. Faith is of the heart, not of the head. Right? And what, what does it say in Romans chapter 10? Romans chapter 10, it says in verse number 10, For with the heart man believes. With the heart man believes. Right? So that's not just in one part it says that, with the heart. You know, children, except you become as children you can't enter in, children live from the heart. Right? And so I, I think the problem is, is what we're trying to do is we're trying to create faith in the head instead of realizing that it's with the heart. Because there will always be, as long as you're in this human body, there will always be thoughts of doubt that pass through the head. I've heard people talk about fasting for two weeks, seeking God for an answer to something. They still didn't receive it. Then a year later, they would fast again. And a year later, they would fast again. Just heard a, a story about a woman trying to receive something from God. Finally, 13 years later, she still hadn't gotten anything and she'd given up on it completely. And then one day, the light came on. She heard somebody preaching, talking about this principle of the heart. For with the heart, man believes. And all things, not most things, are possible to those who believe, meaning those who believe in the heart, not the head. So we don't talk a lot about the heart. We don't deal too much with the heart in our, our culture. We deal more or less with the head exclusively. You know, because the, the heart will tell you to do things and your head will talk you out of it. Have you ever been in a place like that? Has your heart ever told you to give, but your head will put up an argument and a fight and say, well, you know, we, you can't afford to give right now. You've got too many bills coming. You know, and I, I believe we do things like that. I've done that. You know, looking back, I probably missed some kind of blessing if I would have acted from the heart instead of the head. Well, I learned earlier on, and, and, and then I, I learned about this early. I learned about this in 1987 when I, I received my first visible answer, right? Because when you hear um, scriptures like Mark eleven twenty four, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. When, when you're trying, when you're dealing with the head, when you're leaning on the head, on on intellect, all your focus goes on the last part of that verse, and you shall have them. What can I do? What do I need to do? What do I need to say to go from my current state to the you shall have them state that's all i care about right and and that's the that's the that's the seed of head faith that's the position of head faith you're waiting for a manifestation you want to know what it's going to take to get the manifestation to happen sooner rather than later all of it is about seeing touching tasting 
feeling. It's all about getting to that place. But the Bible emphasizes the exact opposite of that. The Bible emphasizes when you pray. It doesn't say anything about when it manifests. It says when you pray, believe that you receive. And where do you believe? For with the heart man believes. Right? And so you have to become like a little child, humble yourself, and believe you receive the answer when you pray in your heart. When day number two comes, hour number two, when time passes, in other words, and things don't look any different, you can't suddenly switch to the believe you receive it part to the and you shall have it part and focus everything on that. Because anybody who is focusing on the you shall have a part is in a place of doubt. I don't see any other way around it because the fact of the matter is, of course, the you shall have a part is important. You shall have it means you're no longer sick. You're no longer weak. Your eyes are normal. Your teeth are normal. Your ears are normal. Your joints are normal. The pain is gone. Of course, everybody wants to be at the you shall have it part. But it's the believing part that gets you there. And the believing part has to be in the heart. And the heart doesn't ask a bunch of questions. The heart doesn't need a bunch of intellectual uh, musings, so to speak. Doesn't need a lot of, of detail. Doesn't need any of those things. For with the heart, man believeth. It's not an intellectual exercise. Does that make any sense? Here's an interesting thing, and I remember reading about this 20 years ago for the first time, and then 10 years ago, approximately, I mean, these are just approximations for the second time, that the, the brain admits these certain types of waves. But they went on to discover that identical waves come from the organ known as the heart, the pump in the chest, and they can't explain why. Now, I believe, and this is just my opinion, and, and here we go with the intellectual stuff again, right? Because we build up intellectual arguments. Two plus two always equals four. If not, we have to dig deep and we have to find an intellectual solution, not a heart solution. But I believe that inside this flesh and blood machine is a human spirit. The spirit, the real you, the part that goes on forever. The part that when Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and Abraham's bosom in the Gospels. The rich man looked across the gulf. He recognized Lazarus. He recognized Abraham. Even though the bodies of all three men were physical bodies, were in the ground, in the earth, disintegrated, however you want to put it, gone. They still recognized one of those. So the spirit man, the real you, looks like the physical you. Except without all the imperfections. It's the perfect version of of you. And so the spirit man uses this flesh and blood body like a person might use a machine. Right? So I mean you've you've seen um, examples of people using robotic arms, um, these magnifying lenses where they can um, experiment on moving micro pieces that they couldn't hold steady with their hand, but they can do so with the machine. And this machine is just an extension of a person's arms 
of a person's hands, of a person's eyes, right? They use them in surgery a lot now for certain types of surgery when you're dealing with microtypes of, of implants and things to that nature. So likewise, I believe the spirit is using this physical body, right? And as long as the body is alive, as long as the machine is alive, then you have contact with this physical world. And so things like the brain and the heart, I mean, they're, they're just part, they're just the machine equivalent. But behind it is the real heart in the spirit, is the real soul where the brain is, the personality, all of these things. So there's a connection which each part of the spirit man to the part of the natural man, if that makes any sense. So we have the ability in the spirit to think there and to make decisions there. And we also have the ability in the spirit or the soul. See, the Bible says, we're not of them who draw back unto perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. The soul isn't saved yet, right? The spirit is reborn. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, meaning a new spirit man. Old things have passed away and all things have become new in the spirit. God is a spirit. We're made in the image and likeness of God. Right? And we have the Holy Spirit indwelling our spirit. That, that's how Jesus empowers his, his people. That's how we overcome fear, doubt, unbelief, sin, all of these other things. And, and so it's, it's a matter of believing with the heart. And believing with the heart takes one one-hundredth of the effort that believing with the head does. Now, absolutely, you have to get through the head to get to somebody's heart because the head, the head is where the gate is, right? So the information has to be given. But yet some people have a hardened heart where they refuse to examine themselves or the information or the situation from a, from a place of righteousness. And so you can see that whatever it is that you have need of, believe you receive, it means believe you've got it in your heart and that you've got it right now. So if I believe, let's take healing for example, let's say a person is suffering from arthritis. If I believe I receive my healing, I don't believe it because my joints no longer hurt. And I'm not trying to use faith to get my joints to stop hurting. Do you see the difference? I'm believing that I receive what Jesus did for me at the cross 2,000 years ago. I have it as a spiritual reality in my heart. I believe that I receive my healing, and I believe it because Jesus said to believe it. I believe it because I prayed. I believe it because I prayed in Jesus' name. I believe it because I told my body in Jesus' name to be healed. Those are what I believe. In my heart, in the spirit, in that dimension, I am healed. Now, if that's what my focus is, that never changes. <clears throat> Tomorrow, my body may feel better, or it may feel worse. I'm not going to adjust my belief according to my feelings. I'm going to adjust my belief. My belief is based on what's in my heart. And in my heart, I know that Jesus died to set me free from the curse of the law. And according to Deuteronomy 28, all sickness, all disease, all lack, all darkness is a curse that comes upon people that are separated from God. Once I was separated from God, but because of the cross, 
Jesus has opened the way and I, I choose to receive it. I receive it in my heart. So it's difficult to put it in, in different words. And, and I'm not going to try. I want to just say right now is you can receive all things are possible to you today, right now. And when you're done listening to this podcast, you can look up from your heart to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, and you can pray and ask for what things soever you desire. Now, I'm not going to tell you what's the right desire, what's a wrong desire. I believe that if you open your heart and you examine your heart sincerely, you'll know what it is. You don't have to rely on the head to tell you deep in your heart where your knower is. You will know whether that thing is a righteous request or an unrighteous request. You will know whether that thing is good or bad for you. And if you don't know, I remember one time I didn't know about something. It was a uh, material thing. I wanted it. I didn't know whether I was deceiving myself into believing it was a good thing or not. I fell into that intellectual argument. I couldn't get out of it. Um, I asked for forgiveness. I tried to move forward, but I just didn't understand. And so I just left it in God's hands. But I left it not with the head, but in the heart. In the heart, I placed that situation in God's hands, and the weight just lifted off my shoulders. I didn't worry about manifesting anything. I didn't worry about any of those things. And when it was in my heart, when something's in your heart, it's like you have something, even though you don't visibly have it yet. It's like it's already happened, and you can't work that up. See, when I tell people this is what it's like, people try and work their way mentally into that. And I understand that, because from a mental standpoint, from a soulish standpoint, that makes sense. But God didn't design this so that you would have to be a learned, intellectual type of person. That's what all these things are. They are all intellectual approaches to a God who is so far and beyond our ability to understand. It's not even funny. That's why God broke everything down and turned the wisdom of this world into foolishness and said, except you become as a little child, you will not be able to enter into the things of God, the kingdom of heaven. So you can't enter into salvation until you humble yourself, right? You can't, you can't believe until you get to a point where you realize that you really have come as far as you're going to ever go in your own, on your own. And that your righteousness really isn't righteousness at all. It's just your own mental justifications for why you do the wrong things. And then if we put too much of a spotlight on you, you compare yourself to somebody else who you know is worse than you. You know, but the standard of God is impossible for any human being to reach on their own. And that's the whole idea of Jesus coming. That's the whole grace of God. It's like a test that's impossible to pass, but somebody else takes it for you and then credits their score on your card. Imagine that. Imagine taking a test and it goes into a database somewhere and it shows that you got a 40. <laughs> Then you go back and you look and it's 100. And you say, well, how, how can I move on? How can I move on to the next section of life when I didn't pass this? Well, somebody took the test for you. Really? Well, that's amazing. Who did it? 
<clears throat> That's why the Bible says that, that following God is our reasonable service. Doing the right thing is our reasonable service. Loving people. So, verse 13 of Romans, I'm still in there. It says, For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him on whom they have not believed? Right? You don't pray to the tooth fairy because you don't believe there is one. You don't pray to Santa Claus. You pray to God because you believe he's there. Now, a lot of people are, they, they believe he's there. They think he might be there. They're hoping he's there. Right? And, and because they're, they're fighting with doubt and unbelief. But, but we can't contact God with our intellect. We can't contact God with our physical bodies. But we can contact him with our heart, which is our spirit. Just another word for spirit, heart, spirit. You can use them interchangeably. For with the heart, with the spirit, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. So I believe I receive it. I believe I receive it in my heart. I believe I have it now. I believe I have the answer in my heart from one hour to the next. That's how you walk by faith and not by sight. You believe you have the answer in your heart from one hour to the next. And when the day ends and you close your eyes to go to sleep, you go to sleep believing you have the answer in your heart. Any type of manifestation or time lapses or anything like that, that's, none of that is your responsibility. All of that is God's responsibility. Faith never wears a watch. If your faith is conscious of time, then you have doubt in your heart. Or you've closed your heart out. You've hardened your heart. You're, you're approaching all this from a mental, intellectual standpoint. Now, I'm not saying you don't use your intellect. I mean, we're in a, wor a world where you've got to look to your left and right every time you cross the street. You've got to use your senses you got to use your common sense because we're in a physical world. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you have to switch gears. You can no longer just operate from your head because your head has limit, too many limitations. When it comes to the supernatural, you can't get that through the head. you got to get it through the heart. Open your heart up. Now, you may say, well, how do I do that? You don't have to be taught how to do it. You already know. You just have to remember. You have to remember what it is like to be sincere. Because that's the nature of the spirit. That's where that that's where that's the seed of your ultimate sincerity is the spirit. That's where you're completely honest and open. Where you're completely vulnerable. That's the heart. That's the part that we learn to close off. Because you don't want to be hurt. Because you think the price of loving is just too high. You can get hurt. Too much pain. Don't want to go through that again. But in closing that off, you close off the life that you were meant to live. Okay, so I'm going to end there today. It's just an adjustment. I'll leave you with that. If you were a child... And, and, and you were trying to intellectualize why certain things haven't happened that you see in the Bible, that you know that God's promised, that you saw Jesus do for somebody else. If Jesus has ever healed anybody, he'll heal you. If he's ever forgiven anybody, he'll forgive you. If he's ever guided anybody, he'll guide you. But when the Bible says, ask in faith, nothing wavering, 
It means ask believing that God... I mean, let me read this from the Amplified Bible. Actually, I don't have the Amplified Bible in front of me, but in the book of James where it says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. I mean, if you look that up in the Amplified Bible, it says the, wa- the wavering part means doubting God's willingness to help. You can't look at the New Testament and look at Jesus and doubt his willingness to help. You have to create a different version than, than the version that's presented in the Gospels to come to that conclusion. Because Jesus was willing to help anybody. The only person maybe you could find would be the um, Phoenician woman at the well, the, or the um, Samaritan woman at the well. When he said, I wasn't um, sent, but to the... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Got my stories mixed up. I'm talking about the woman whose daughter was sick, and um, I think she was the, the Phoenician woman, yeah. And she's, Jesus said he wasn't sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and not sent to the dogs, the Gentiles. And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And great is your faith, he said. That was a woman looking at the heart. She said, you know, if I can't get it, at least I can get a crumb of something. If, if I'm that low, I don't even have a seat at the table. At least I can get a crumb that may fall from it. That's the heart right there. And that's when Jesus responded, great is your faith. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. Can you see that? That's the seed of the vulnerability. That's the real you. That's the part that when you rediscover it, your heart, the real you, it, you'll feel weights being lifted from off of your shoulders, from off of your mind. That's the part of you that believes. And, and that's the part that really makes life living because otherwise, I mean, all we have about, around us is just noise, really. I mean, the things that are important, people, relationships, love, righteousness, the right thing. I mean, that's, those are the things we all hunger for. The rest of this is kind of just like props on a set when you get right down to it, right? Okay, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Have a great rest of the week. God bless you, and I'll see you the next time.